The sheer randomness of the attack <clears throat> on obviously the softest of targets last night makes it very hard for us <clears throat> as a society to defend ourselves against uh, these sort of incidents. We've, me and my wife Pat have spent many happy days off on Borough Market and that area of London and found ourselves in, in that part of London at a similar time of day to when these events happened last night, when the whole place is, is bustling with people out <coughs> enjoying their night out. The perpetrators are called terrorists for an obvious reason. Their intention isn't just to kill and maim, but also to spread terror. The issue for all of us now is how to react to such events. We constantly tell ourselves that we will not be affected, that we will carry on as normal. And of course, we must be defiant in the face of terrorism. But these things <clears throat> enter our consciousness, of course they do, at a deep level. And we must decide how to react. As the Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl famously commented, reflecting on his time in concentration camps with unbearable suffering all around. He said, everything can be taken from a person, but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. But of course, security is a massive social and political issue. When people feel insecure, they want to create some form of protection to build walls, erect gates, barriers, fortifications, stockpile weapons. But most of all, when we humans feel insecure, we tend to cluster together with those of our own kind. Diversity goes out of the window. We want to be surrounded by people like us, people we feel we can trust. Insecurity is a breeding ground a fertile breeding ground for tribalism, sectarianism, nationalism, ultimately xenophobia, racism, and physical conflict, war. The story we've heard today, just now, the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis is about insecurity. That's what the text is about. How the inhabitants of Shinar, probably now in northeast Syria, by the way, tried to overcome their sense of insecurity, the fear that they were going to be scattered across the face of the earth. They feared being scattered, dissipated, becoming vulnerable, overrun. So they banded together and built a city, actually, which had a huge tower. But the city actually is quite an important part of the story. Uh, that would reach A tower that would reach the heavens, the Tower of Babel. Similar structures known as ziggurats, Exist, uh, existed across the ancient Near East at the time, each dedicated to the deity of the builders. Ziggurats were basically about power or the perception of power, the message of power. Our wall is bigger than yours. Our God is greater than yours. Our weapons are more deadly. Don't mess with us, was basically the message being given. <clears throat> Most people assume that the sin involved in creating the Tower of Babel, the thing that kind of got God so mad with them, was pride and arrogance, the desire to reach the heavens, to inhabit God's space, to become as God. Judy Klitzner, a Jewish biblical scholar, disagrees with that understanding 
and argues very per persuasively from the text that the real issue that got God's goat was the false unity that these people created, their collusion. It was the collusion element that she says was really at the heart of the problem, a collusion to act together, to build a city, a community over against other cities, uh, other communities that might overcome them. And God saw the power and potential in this factional discord and complicity. And in the story, it says that God caused them to speak different languages. God scattered them, the thing they most feared, actually, uh, and broke up their colluded, tribalistic, false unity. God dispersed them across the face of the whole earth. At the start of the next chapter, chapter 12 of Genesis, we're told that God promised to create a nation from Abraham's seed. Not, I would emphasize, not to be a nation over against other nations, but rather to be a source of blessing and enrichment to all the nations of earth. Abraham's vision was one of global unity and cooperation. It wasn't actually of a favored people over against people that were not favored, not at all. All people were favored by God and Abraham and his seed were to be uh, a means of bringing that blessing to people. That was the way in which they were favored. I just wonder when we'll start to realize that we are first of all human beings, that that's what we are. Firstly, human beings, earthlings, and only secondarily British, American, Chinese, Russian, French, or whatever. The idea of making America, Britain, or any other nation autonomously great flies in the face of our primary responsibility to be a global community caring for each other and for the planet which sustains our entire life as a community. Babel demonstrates precisely what happens when we build communities based on self-interest or motivated by fear and insecurity. That's how I read the story. We become suspicious of difference and otherness. We take sides, form tribes, lose the capacity to understand the other, to listen to the other. We build walls around us, create metaphorically gated communities, if you like, become isolated in order to feel secure and safe. Now Luke, who wrote the Gospel, uh, surely had the story, or wrote the Acts of the Apostles as well, that we heard earlier, he surely had the story of the Tower of Babel in mind when he recounted what happened at Pentecost in the reading Joe brought to us. Uh, and full compliments to him for mastering all those weird and wonderful names that appear in that passage in Acts. Um, at Babel, people were confused. Uh, their languages became many and they, and they were confused and uh, a tribal identity uh, took place. Uh, it was... They, were, they became alienated people. At Pentecost, differences of language and background were overcome as people learned to listen to each other, to understand each other. A new age of, of trust was being born. The possibility of new and creative partnerships opened up, as the rest of Acts actually leads us to see. The assumed connection between Genesis 11 and Acts chapter 2 is speaking in tongues. It's about speaking 
But actually, when I read Acts, I think that the accent in the Acts seems to lie not on speaking, but on hearing. Verse 6, each one heard them speaking in their own language. Verse 8, how is it that we hear each one of us in our own native tongue? Verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. Verse 14, give ear to my words. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Pentecost was a sort of miracle, really, of communication. That's what the story's about. But, but miracle, the miracle appears to have been in the hearing department as well as in the speaking area. The feature of Pentecost concerned a fresh capacity to hear, to listen, as well as to speak. The image of the three hers that's located at the centre of the artwork in our chancel, you can take a look at it later, but the artwork up there, uh, which we put up a few years back now, at the very centre of it, there is an image of three hers in a circular dance, three rabbits. Hers, of course, were the original Easter bunnies. And... Uh, <coughs> It's interesting that this image, which actually probably originated in Buddhism and is found in certain Islamic art as well, um, and in sort of Christian churches in Germany, I know, and I think probably in Cornwall too, but, but not very many places else. Um, this, this piece of work that we have there is a representation for us, a novel representation of the Trinity, three hares or rabbits in a circular dance. Now, how do they represent God? The bigger picture on the ceiling up there in the chancel is of a canopy of branches and leaves representing the community at St. Luke's and beyond. There are around 1,500 names of in inspiring people written on the leaves. You can't read them from down on the floor, but they're up there. Inspirational figures who were nominated by members of St. Luke's at that time. And then we wanted a symbol of God at the center of our community of saints but something a little bit different and quirky. Of course, we wanted something quirky, hence the three hairs. But the thing I love about this image of the three hairs is that what joins the three creatures actually are their ears. They all appear to have two ears, but actually when you look closely, they all actually share an ear. It's a great thought that what unites the Trinity, what unites us as a community at St. Luke's, what unites any body of people is not the speaking primarily, but the listening. When a community neglects the discipline of listening, it becomes dispersed. Fear and suspicion set in. People huddle together in cliques and little comfort groups and band together against the rest. When we stop listening, then we start reading into what people say. We assume we know what they think. Community ceases and conflict begins to occur. Pentecost is a miracle, as I say, of communication. And in a way, all successful communication is a sort of miracle. I've often thought that in our marriage. We're so different. Communication, the fact that you can communication, communicate effectively is a miraculous thing. All too often, we become overly conscious of our own thoughts, our own ideas and self-interests, uh, so much so that we can't communicate effectively with the other. We learn to look out for people who are different and guard against them, keep away from them, look at them sideways, without realizing that actually we're just the same. 
We are, as I say, first and foremost, human beings. The same blood courses through our veins. We are earthlings, dependent on the atmosphere, the tiny, fragile atmosphere of this one gorgeous, beautiful planet. I grew up in South Liverpool, in a predominantly Protestant area of the city. Uh, on most Sunday mornings, I watched the Orange Lodge. I don't know if you know what the Orange Lodge is, but we watched the Orange Lodge marching past our house many, many Sunday mornings, carrying banners with images of King Billy, William of Orange, who was declared on the uh, banners to be the defender of the faith. I had no idea why, but I grew up with a belief that God was on our side and not theirs. The Roman Catholics, that is. I walked past a Catholic school on my way to my Church of England school every morning and sneered at the statue of Mary outside and felt that I was sort of very close to the devil's den. That was how I was conditioned to believe about these things. None of my friends supported Everton, the traditional Catholic team in Merseyside. It's kind of changed now, but it was at the time. We all supported Liverpool FC. I didn't have any Catholic friends. I didn't know any Catholics, actually, not personally. The American writer Anne Lamott says, you can tell that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that he or she hates all the same people that you do. <laughs> Catholics, Protestants, Evangelicals, Liberals, Charismatics, Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, Atheists, Blacks, Whites, Girls, Boys, English, Scots, Gays, Straits, Left-handers, right-handers, youngsters, oldies, rappers, rockers, hoodies. Every difference provides a basis for rivalry and hostility when it could actually offer an opportunity of celebrating enriching diversity. And then here comes Pentecost, God's carnival of congeniality, where difference is not only overcome, but also celebrated. The realisation dawns that God does not take sides. There is no monopoly on the spirit. Every single person is in some way a vessel of the divine. In the last days, Peter says, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Sons and daughters, young and old, slave and free, men and women, God's spirit is poured forth on all flesh indiscriminately, an outrageous outpouring of grace. At Pentecost, people learned a new language. It was the language of peace instead of war, the language of reconciliation instead of conflict, of cooperation instead of competition forgiveness instead of revenge, hope instead of despair. But most of all, Pentecost introduced the capacity to listen instead of merely yakking at each other, which is what we mostly do. Today we give thanks for a very beautiful little girl called Mai. And we can't help asking what sort of world she will grow up into. What sort of world all our children will inherit I don't believe personally that Jesus intended to start a new religion called Christianity. I don't believe that. He never mentioned it. He never showed any interest in it, so far as I can tell. His passion was the kingdom of God. 
a transforming vision of the world as God would wish it to be, a world of reconciliation and peacemaking, a world of justice and inclusion, a world in which people and whole communities treat each other as they would wish to be treated themselves, a world where real authority is the authority to serve others, where dealings are honest, relationships pure and compassionate. Pentecost was not intended to be, I think, the birthplace of a new form of sectarianism, the church. We're right, you're wrong, we've got the truth, you're in error, join us or be damned. Rather, Pentecost symbolises a new form of community that can only exist when we open ourselves constantly to the breath of the Spirit and to each other within our differences. When we open ourselves to the Spirit, we open ourselves to difference, to otherness, to people of difference, to different ideas, different possibilities, different futures. Pentecost enables us to see the resurrected Christ all over the place, in all kinds of people, by many names, not just behind closed doors with people like us. So finally, dear friends, let's join together now in saying the collect that we heard earlier that's on your service sheet. If you just pick that up and find the collect, we say together, flame dancing spirit, come sweep us off our feet and dance us through our days. Surprise us with your rhythms. Dare us to try new steps. Explore new patterns and new partnerships. Release us from old routines to swing in abandoned joy and fearful adventure. And in the intervals, rest us in your still centre. Amen. Choir are going to sing a song now, which uh, B introduced me to recently, and, uh, and I loved it so much. It's a song that's celebrating our difference in a kind of joyful, playful sort of way, and it just seems an appropriate thing to have at uh, the end of what I've been saying. <laughs> 